We have a picnic, people. I mean, you can do that later. If you have a Bible, uh, would you turn to Psalm 121? Psalm 121. I'm going to continue. We just got a couple of weeks left in our Gospel Rhythm series. Look at the Psalms. It's kind of an overview of different genres in the Psalms. Um, and we're in a, song to, a Psalm today that's called A Song of Ascents. That's the, first, that's the title of it. Um, and when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity to go to Israel for a few weeks on an on archaeological uh, tour. And uh, what, one thing we noticed right away when we flew into Tel Aviv, Israel, there's this you know, hour or two hour trek from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And we were staying in Jerusalem the first night. So we flew into Tel Aviv and you drive to Jerusalem on the bus. And one thing you notice on the drive to Jerusalem is that almost the entire way you're at an incline. Like the bus is kind of doing this and you're going up towards Jerusalem. And, uh, and so, because it's at a higher elevation than Tel Aviv. And so, <coughs> this song of ascent, Psalm 121, if you know, there's 15 songs of ascent, uh, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. And what that's referring to is a psalm that's ascending, meaning there's people who are singing this or speaking it to each other as they ascend towards Jerusalem. Um, it's kind of like a pre-worship service, right? They're singing these psalms together as they gather towards the temple, which is the place where they worship God in the middle of Jerusalem, at the highest point in Jerusalem, and they're ascending up to that point. And so it kind of works as a, uh, a little pre-worship service. Maybe you listen to some Christian music on the way to church this morning. kind of serves that purpose. Get yourself kind of geared up for worship. But also, it becomes in, in, the, in the Bible this metaphor uh, for the life of faith. Uh, a life moving towards God is an upward call, uh, not physically, of course, but as a metaphor, we move towards the Lord uh, to worship Him, and our whole lives should be this upward kind of ascent. And so this is Psalm 121, the second Psalm of Ascents. Let's read it together. Verse 1. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. I have this theory about the way life works, at least for me. I think it's probably true for, for most of us. Um, we kind of live most of our lives with our heads down, uh, meaning we just keep doing what we always do, right? We get up at certain times, we go to work. We deal with our family. Monday nights are for this. Wednesday nights are for this. And there's kind of this cycle, this rhythm, this normal uh, life. And there's kind of an illusion of control, right? Like, this is what my life is about. These are the things I do. And these kind of predictable patterns makes up my life. That's the normal part. But then we have these moments where there's just kind of little stabs of reality. And we wake up to the fact that uh, the world is a crazy place. Uh, it's dangerous, and we have no control whatsoever. I mean, these little moments, right? You're, you're driving on the interstate, and you're like, I'm literally going 75 miles an hour right now 
in a, in a metal box. And I could, if I hit something, <coughs> excuse me, I will die. I, if I run into something, my life will be over, just like that. Or we realize that we can't control our kids, or we just kind of realize all of a sudden that our financial future is not so secure as we thought it was, and we just kind of wake up for a second. But we can't stay there, right, in that anxious place. And so we kind of go back to having our heads down and doing our normal life and feeling the sense of like we're in control. I think that's the way we, we normally do this. I experienced this when I was um, on vacation a couple years ago, a year and a half ago or so. We were driving through Virginia, and uh, we stopped at a hotel. It was the middle of winter, and um, my son sees that there's an indoor pool. Uh, my oldest, he's about a year and a half, two years old, and he wants to swim. And so we put our younger son down for the night, and I take Caden, my oldest, and we go down to the swimming pool to swim for a little while. And you know how kids are about water. Sometimes they're like gung-ho about it, and then sometimes they're like so scared of it and just doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason <coughs> why that is. Excuse me. <coughs> so this time he's scared. Uh, he's just clinging to me. He's clinging to me, and he won't let go. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and I'm trying, you know, it's cute at first. He's holding on to me, you know, and you feel needed and loved. And, uh, and then they're like, okay, he needs to, like, separate and, like, learn how to swim. So I'm trying to get him to kick his legs. I'm trying to get him to, thank you so much, to, um, to branch out. And so I, I, uh, I keep telling him this over and over again. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. It's okay. And he's not listening to me. And then uh, all of a sudden I get so frustrated. I grab him by the shoulders and I say to him, look at me, Cademan. It's okay. I'm going to protect you. And I can see he has a quizzical kind of look on his face, and I ask him, do you know what protect means? And he shakes his head, no. And I tell him, and this is where time kind of slows down for me. You have these moments, little stabs of reality. And, uh, you know, I I say, do you know what protect means? And he says, no. And I, I tell him, it means that daddy's not going to let ever, anything bad ever happen to you. And then my gut just dropped, you know. Um, and I'll never forget it because I realized I just made a promise to my son that I would never in a million years be able to keep to him. I'm not saying it's a wrong thing to say to your kids. I'm just saying for that moment for me, I realized I can't do that. There is no way, even if it was good for him, which it's not, to never experience any suffering, I, as a parent, am not able to provide that for him. I'm limited. It was just like reality. I can't protect you. But you can't stay there. I mean, I didn't stay there. There's a whole vacation left to go hang out with family and stuff, and I had to go back to normal life. Um, and so we have these moments of bouncing back and forth between these things. And maybe you're, you're kind of more in one camp or the other. You spend a lot of time being anxious. Or maybe you just never really, you just kind of put things off and your personality is more a control personality and you just kind of live like, you know, you're, you're in control of your life. But we bounce back between these things. And what I want us to see today is that Psalm 121 is, is a third way. It's neither living a life of the, you know, control or anxiety. It's, it's between the two. It's, it's the life of faith. It's not one where we bounce back and forth between these things. It is not a life of control, not a life of dependency, uh, not a life of, of anxiety, but one of dependency upon the Lord. 
It's looking up, a life of, of looking up to him, seeing him as the one who's in control, leaning on him. And that's what I want us to see today. Have confidence in God. Psalm 121 is a, is a psalm of confidence. I hope that we walk out today with our heads held a little bit higher um, because of what we know God has done and is doing for us. And to see that and to trust in that rather than other false confidences that we put our trust in all the time. This is a psalm of confidence. I want us to see this. The main point is this. Christians are called to look up, seeing God as our only source of confidence. The life of faith is one where you're, you're, you're constantly looking and depending on the Lord, seeing Him as the only source, the only viable source for confidence in your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And it means to be a Christian to, to have this confidence. Not always. I mean, if you've been with us during this, this series on the Psalms, you, you know that we have Psalms of mourning and Psalms of doubt and Psalms of questioning and saying, I don't understand, God. And that, if you are there this morning, that's a perfectly valid place to be. I'm not saying that you can't doubt, that you can't struggle, that you can't mourn. But the normal experience of the Christian, the regular experience of the Christian is one of confidence, not of shrinking back, but of, what, of confidence in what God has done for us. And why is that? Because we serve the God of the universe, who's not whimsical, who, who made heaven and earth, as Psalm 121 says. We serve that God. And so we need to walk with confidence. Where does this confidence come from? That's the, the all-important question. I want to look at two things, uh, false confidence and then true confidence. False confidence and then true or proper confidence. So first, the psalm points out a couple ways that we might have false confidence, the ways that we look for confidence in all of the wrong places. And the first one is this. There's two of them. first one is this. We look inward for confidence. We look internally we look to our own resources, our own strength. I think that most of us kind of live our lives like, if something's going to happen, uh, it's got it's to happen by me. You know, like the things that, that need to get done in my life have to be done by me. And so we live like I'm the only one who knows how to be me. We have a me complex. And we just, we gain confidence through our own abilities. All of us will admit to being limited to some degree. You know, if I said, are you limited? Can you do anything you want? Of course, everybody would say no, but we live like we want to push those things to the side and focus on what we think we can control. We're not comfortable with our limitations. I have one more Cademan story for the day. You know, I've got to throw a couple in. Uh, I was a couple months ago, I was in the backyard working on something I can't remember, and the sun is setting, and, and my oldest Cademan's out there in the yard, and he sees the moon, because the moon and the sun are out at the same time, and it's a full moon, and he's looking at it, uh, and I'm working, and he says, Daddy, will you lift me up so I can touch the moon? Um, and it's like, oh, yeah, one of those moments, and I come in with crushing reality, obviously. <laughs> son, you can't touch the moon, you know, I didn't say it like that, but you know, buddy, you can't reach the, you can't reach the moon, even if Daddy holds you up. He's like, you're really tall, I know, but even, even if I hold you up, you're not going to be able to touch the moon. And then he looks at me and he crosses his arms and he says, but dad, I can try. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to disagree with that. I mean, he can try, uh, but I'm like silently cursing our whole culture and media who tells our kids they can do anything they want, you know, uh, <clears throat> which, you know, of course, it's good to challenge your kids, but 
we t- we're so uncomfortable with our kids having limitations. Um, and, uh, and so we tell them all these things. And it's like, I can try. I can try to touch the moon if I want to. So I, but I go along with it. I say, do you want to try? I'll, I'll lift you up. And he says, yes. And so I lift him up, and I'm holding him up. I'm six feet tall, and he's just he's reaching out towards the moon, uh, straining. And he, like, drops his arm, and then he makes a second effort. You know, oh, like, oh, maybe I didn't quite reach far enough. And then he drops his arm again, and he turns to me, and he says, I can't do it. And so lesson learned, right? I put him down, and we go back, and I say, you can still look at the moon, buddy. You can still enjoy it, even if you can't touch it. But he needed to see that, like, to come to grips with his own limitations, right? He can't reach the moon. There's certain things he can't do. And it was a good lesson. But we do this all the time. We live like we can do what we need to do in our lives. But it's an illusion. We can't. We can't control things. We can't control what happens. The passage tells us uh, how many personal pronouns are in this, this whole psalm. And just, just in the first verse, <laughs> I lift my eyes up to the hills. What is the psalmist doing? The only thing the psalmist does in this is look up, right? The rest is the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, verse 3. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord. Verse 8, the Lord. He know, the psalmist knows he can't do anything to help himself. He has to be dependent on something else outside of himself. And so he says, where does my help come from? And the answer is the Lord, not himself. But we do this. We look inward for our help. We fall into the trap of thinking that we control our lives and we create systems and plans and we try to stick to them. Nothing wrong with doing those in wisdom, of course, but the way that we depend on them for our comfort and for our confidence. Oftentimes, I think, you know, we think that if, if we're anxious about something, then it makes it more or less likely to happen, right? Uh, something scary is coming up, and so we start being anxious about it, and we think, well, you know, we don't say this, but... We think that by being anxious, we might affect the outcome, which is not what the Bible teaches at all. Jesus says the exact opposite of that, right? He says a lot about anxiety. To be an anxious person is not the Christian walk. It's a walk of confidence. And Jesus talks a lot about anxiety. Luke chapter 25, I love the, the practical reason he gives to not be anxious. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your, your span of life? You see what he's saying? Being anxious is pointless. It, it doesn't do anything. It only hurts you. It doesn't help. And yet we think with our internal confidence, like looking inside, I can, I can affect this. But you can't. Worrying is a waste of time. It doesn't bring you closer. It's like, it's like you're trying to touch the moon and you're only six feet closer. Right? You're, you can't get there. You're unable to. And trying only underscores the fact that you, how far you have to go before you actually control your life. You can't do it. That's a bad source of confidence, looking internally. But there's a second false confidence. It's when we look outward. Verse 1 of Psalm 20, 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. What is the psalmist looking at when he says, I lift my eyes up to the hills? There's some debate about this point. But most scholars think that there's a reference here to idolatry. Why? The hills in Israel, the hills surrounding Israel, were, were often associated with idol worship in the Old Testament. If you've ever read the Old Testament, maybe you've come across this phrase, the high places. 
So Israel would, would, um, would go through these seasons in the kings where they would, uh, they would have these high places, and those places were where div- divination happened and witchcraft and all these things that are normal part of the ancient Near Eastern world, which are not so much a part of our world. But uh, the high places is where this, this happened. And so there's a struggle in the Old Testament. Nobody wants to get rid of the high places, right? Everybody kind of wants to keep those just in case. You know, we'll pray to Yahweh. But in case Baal is real or some of these other gods, like maybe we should pray to them as well and we'll keep these high places. And so what we're supposed to imagine, I think, by reading Psalm 121 is kind of a smirk on the psalmist's face as he's saying, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Like, maybe I should, maybe I should go sacrifice to another god. Maybe I should go to the hills uh, to find uh, comfort and confidence. But then, of course, the whole rest of the psalm is uh, no way, right? My help comes from Yahweh, the one true God who made heaven and earth. And he goes on to say all the things that the Lord does. It's not found in the hills. It's found with the Lord himself. But Israel did this. They looked to these gods in the hills uh, for their help at times, and they were in trouble. And we do the same thing. I mean, we talk a lot about idolatry around here, but this is so, it's such a huge, important part of the Christian life. The things that we look to, that, that we perceive as being higher than us, that we kind of want to go get, to go get our confidence in life from. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, money is a big one. Even though we say that it's not, you know, we're not um, stingy with money and stuff, we, we gain a lot of confidence, most of us, from how much or how little we have in our bank accounts or in our retirement accounts. We gain confidence. We think, if I could arrive at this level, then I can be at peace. We get confidence from it. We get confidence from our position. You know, if I, if I arrive at this place, if I get this raise, if I have this number of kids, whatever it is for you, uh, there's a sense of, well, that's when I will have arrived, and that's when I will have confidence in who I am. I know what I'm doing my, with my life once I reach this level. Or a, a family, you know, if once my kids sleep through the night or once, you know, like uh, they stop fighting with one another and, and love each other, then, then we'll arrive at this place where, that we're just, we're getting, we're trying to reach and grab whatever situation it is for you. We do this. We try to find confidence outside of ourselves with these things that we perceive to be higher than us. They are the false gods. But confidence doesn't come through these things. There's a, there's a feeling like confidence is out there somewhere that I have to go get. And then once I have it, then I'll be good. But it doesn't work that way. Nothing out there is stable enough. I mean, you ever think about that when you're looking at your bank account online? You're like, these are just numbers on a screen now. I, I don't even have this in cash in my mattress. It's like somebody could come in and change this, and all of a sudden I would be destitute. You know, like, it's just not stable enough. There's no confidence there. Where does confidence come from? It doesn't come from looking inward. It doesn't come from looking outward. True confidence comes from looking upward to the Lord who made heaven and earth. That's the image that we're supposed to take from this, that the Lord is the highest place, right? Even the geography of Israel underscores the fact that God is the most preeminent. He's, he's the highest place. The Temple Mount is what they're ascending to, where they're going to worship. And they're not being distracted by the hills, the high places, where they could worship other gods, or go into the Temple Mount 
to worship the Lord. He is the highest place. And this is a metaphor, of course. We don't believe God is on a mountain right now or, or in the skies above the clouds. It's this idea of moving toward him. The Bible describes as an upward movement. To look up, to see where our confidence comes from. And he, he finds his confidence in two ways from the Lord. He, he sees that, that there is a God over us, and he sees that there's a God with us. A God over us and a God with us. First, he sees a God over us, a God who's powerful, who's in control, who's watching over. And he uses these three, three images of, of dangers that he might encounter on this path. Remember, this is a, a metaphor. They're moving towards Jerusalem. And so there's three dangers he sees. The first one is the danger of insecurity. Verse 3, He will not let your foot be moved. I really wasn't worried about my foot being moved. I don't, I don't know what, you know, how is that a comfort to me? Well, if you're on the path, a treacherous path upwards, you have to have stable footing. There's a treacherous, I think you could fall down on this path uh, up to Jerusalem. And so what the comfort is, is that there's a God who's over him, who, who's in a sense holding on to his, his shoulder or holding on to his foot so that it doesn't fall off the path. And he finds comfort in that. The God who's over him, holding on to him. Second danger is, is one of vulnerability. Verse, uh, verse 3, he says, He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The, the psalmist is worried about falling asleep. Because falling asleep is this vulnerable thing to do when you're on a journey. If you've ever read the story of the Good Samaritan right, in the New Testament, Outside the walls of Jerusalem is where the man is beat up and robbed, and there's robbers outside, and so he's worried about falling asleep and not being able to guard his stuff or guard his own life. And of course, he's using this as a metaphor, like the things that make us vulnerable, you have to fall asleep. Now, sleep is, is a fascinating subject to me, um, nerd alert. Uh, I have a folder on my computer uh, entitled Theology of Sleep. Um, and so if you have any interesting articles about sleep, I'd love to get them. But I love studying this, this idea because it's so fascinating, the ideas of, uh, of how our understanding of sleep has changed over the years. If you read anything about sleep now, um, it's kind of like this thing that you do to like, get energy for the rest of your life. It's like you, you, know, you sleep so you get some energy so you can go out and do the things that are important to you. And we kind of use it as this kind of bonus in our life, you know, like, just get some extra sleep so you can do more things. Whereas even 100 years ago, and certainly in the ancient world, sleep was just this, this dangerous thing. I mean, you would think, look at the prayers that kids used to pray, you know. <laughs> you know, if I should die before I wake, I pray, O oh Lord, my soul to take. You know, it's a, it's a scary thing. Why? Because sleep, you don't have any conscious control. It's like a daily reminder of your own mortality. A third of your life you spend sleeping. Well, considerably less if you have young kids. But you know what I mean? Like, in, over, over average, like, a lot of your life is spent asleep, and you are not able to, to fall asleep. I mean, you can set the conditions right, but it, it just happens. You're not able to wake yourself up. I mean, if your alarm clock goes off, uh, you know, goes dead, then, you know, you don't know when you'll wake up. And maybe you have an internal body clock, but you still, you don't bring yourself out of that. It just happens. And it's like a, a little reminder of, of your dependency on God. The way Bible, the Bible talks about sleep, on more than one occasion, it, it says, it compares sleep to death, right? It's like a miniature death, um, and it happens every day. 
Reminder, you don't control a lot of your life. And you're vulnerable in that time. You're vulnerable that you can't do all this stuff. Eventually, you have to stop and sleep. And he's worried about this. It's dangerous out there, but there's a God who's over that because God literally never slumbers or sleeps, the Bible tells us in this passage. He's like, the image is he's over him. He's guarding him. He's, he's looking down on him as a guard. And, and God is never vulnerable. He's never left open to, to somebody else taking advantage of him. That's the comfort. A God who's over him, who's literally holding him from falling, who's, who's standing over him and watching him as he sleeps. And the third danger is this, mental, emotional, and physical exhaustion, which happens. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord protects. He's like a shield who, who keeps out the elements. Um, and so think about it in the original journey that this guy's making. Uh, sunstroke is a real danger in, in Israel. It's a desert environment. And you're out in the sun all day. It can literally kill you. Uh, and then he's worried about the moon striking him by night. What's that about? Well, uh, like in our day, the moon is associated with uh, mental or emotional health, right? We have these words like lunatic or lunacy that are related to the moon, and we, you know, there's, there's a long history of that. And so what he's saying is uh, the things that, that make me crazy or the things that keep me up, um, that my mental emotional state, you're, you're protecting me from that. So the image is the God who's over you. He's, he's holding you from slipping. He's, he's watching you as you sleep. Um, he is shielding you from the elements, from the things that wear you out during the day and the things that make you crazy at night. The Lord is your keeper. The summary is, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. This is the comfort that he draws from this, that there's a God who's over him. There's an elephant in the room, though. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else senses it, but when I read something like this, it's like, really? For being honest, right? The Lord will keep me from all evil? That's not my experience. The Lord watches over me. The Lord will keep me from things that wear me out during the day. I feel pretty worn out. He'll keep me from the things like being crazy at night. I feel pretty crazy at night. I don't, what's wrong? I mean, is the Bible lying or is my experience of the world lying? And it's neither, of course. It's our understanding of what this psalm is trying to do. The promise of the psalm is not that you'll never experience suffering. The Bible is crystal clear about the amount of suffering that you're going to experience as a Christian. James chapter 1, when you encounter various trials, not if, but when you, when you do, Consider it all joy. You're, there's literally hundreds of verses about suffering as a Christian. It's not promising that you won't experience suffering. What's promising is that the Lord keeps you in the midst of suffering. He doesn't let evil inside. You can't be separated from his purposes. This is what Eugene Peterson says about this passage. The promise of the psalm is not that we shall never stub our toes, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress... We could go on and on. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. None of these things have evil power over us. That is, we'll be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. Do you see what he's saying? 
It's like God brings suffering into your life sometimes for your own good. Remember the goal he's bringing you to completion. He's bringing you uh, to this place of maturity. He brings that suffering sometimes, but no suffering comes into your life outside of his control. And nothing will have victory over you. Not ultimately. Nothing will be able to. The Bible tells us nothing separates us from the love of God. It can't have that power. Eugene Peterson goes on to describe it like this, which is helpful to me. Um, the definition of a, of a sinking ship is, is when a ship gets water inside, right? A ship doesn't sink unless it gets water inside. Uh, it can, a storm can beat against it. A storm can even flip over a ship, but it can still float if, as long as there's not water inside. And so he's saying the promise of the psalmist is that water won't get inside. Evil won't have its way with you. It won't sink you outside of God's control, even though it will, you will experience it. And we live in a fallen world where you will get beat upon in many ways. You won't sink, not ultimately, because God is in control. God who's over us, holding on to us, watching over us, and, and shielding us from these things. The, the comfort of this is that there's a God who's over us, but also, secondly and finally, that there's a God who's with us. That's how the psalm ends. Verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. He'll keep you as you go out, as you come in. He's with you on this journey, on this walk towards Jerusalem, this life of faith. God is with us. He's ordaining things to happen for us. He's experiencing life with us. Last week I was uh, cleaning out some stuff from my house and we came across this lamp um, that is uh, just the old lamp that was in the house when we bought it. Uh, the previous owners left it. Um, ugliest thing you've ever seen, uh, in my opinion. And just this gold lamp. Um, but it was big, and like we knew it was an antique, and there's all this crystal. And so like we knew it was probably worth a lot of money, but we just wanted to get it out of the house. And so we listed it on, on an app for somebody to come get it for 50 bucks, and we got just tons of interest, like just all of a sudden. Uh, all these people were wanting this lamp so badly. And so I started talking to this lady, and uh, she's desperate for this lamp. I mean, she is just desperate. And so she keeps messaging me over and over again, will you hold this for me? I know that there's probably going to be tons of people that are interested, so will you please hold this for me? Uh, I have my grandkids right now. I can't come. But, but if you're going to sell it, I'll bring the grandkids right now. She's, she's going to drive 45 minutes to my house to get this lamp. Um, and so I said, no, no, it's fine. I, I will hold it for you. Um, and uh, throughout the day, she's, she's annoying me, honestly. <laughs> like, I, I felt annoyed because I had to keep having to respond to these messages. She's just checking up on me. Like, you haven't sold it, have you? I'm so worried that you're going to sell it uh, out from under me. This has happened to me before. Somebody, you know, cheats me. And I'm like, no, no, I'm a man of my word. Just relax. I, it's 7 o'clock tonight. We'll meet. And so throughout the day, I'm doing this, and then we finally meet at Walgreens so I can give her this lamp. She gets out of her truck, and the woman is weeping, like crying her eyes out over this lamp. And she comes, and she sees it, and she cries some more, and she embraces me over and over and over again, thanking me for holding it for her. And I'm just like, what is going on right now? This is the ugliest lamp I've ever seen in my life. But then she says to me, I had a lamp almost exactly like this. Just it was one little piece was different. But it was almost exactly like this and it was taken from me. My house was robbed 
And all this stuff was taken from me. And my son, who was a grown man at the time, was in the house, and they murdered him. When they robbed my house, and they took everything that I had, uh, and, and, I, and then she said, I know that, that the Lord is watching out for me, and he has brought you to me tonight. And I was convicted. I mean, it, it wasn't just a simple lamp transaction for her, you know? And this woman may be crazy. I don't know. Like, she may have a weird obsession with lamps. I don't there, I don't know, but she saw this moment as ordained by God, and who am I to say it wasn't? Of course he ordains things like this. He ordains all kinds of things. He is in control of everything. He's the God who's over us and the God who's with us. And she saw her life as, as, um, as being fulfilled, the Lord's word being fulfilled in her midst. And I was jealous of that. Like, I want my life to be like that. I want this sense of, of God walking with me. And finding comfort in that and seeing his hand and all these different things. That should give us confidence. The God who's over us and the God who's, who's with us. There's no clearer place that we see this than in the gospel in Jesus Christ. Because he is the God who's over us and the God who's with us. Colossians chapter 1 says that the world was made in and through Jesus, and he is preeminent in all things. He is over everything. He's the word, and he made the world, and he, and he controls it. He is, he's the God who's over us, he's, but he's also the God who's with us. He didn't regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he, he emptied himself and became a servant. He took on flesh and became the God with us walked with us. And then when he left again, and now he's interceding for us, he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we have his presence continually. He's the God over us and the God who is with us. And the result of that, if you know that, if you, if you trust that, should be confidence, right? Because you have Jesus. If you, if you have trusted in him, you have every reason to walk with your head held high. You have every reason to believe that God is on your side. You have every reason to hold your head up with confidence in this life and to walk in that confidence because of what he's done for you. Not because of yourself. Not because of the, how much money you have or whatever it is that, that gives you peace at night. But because of what Jesus is and what he's done. And if you're united with him, you have everything. You have reason for confidence. Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The confidence that comes from knowing Jesus has you covered, that you're in him. Hebrews 10, we're not of those who shrink back. We're those who have faith. Hebrews chapter 10, earlier we had in the assurance of pardon. We have confidence now through his blood. Jesus gives us this confidence. If you're trusting in him, then you can walk with that confidence as well. How do we live this way? I just want to challenge us as we close to look up, to live a life of faith this week, to let go of things that, that kind of your, your little area of control or your area of anxiety where you're trying to just make this happen, whatever it is. Let go of that. It doesn't come from your internal resources or what you might get from the world. It comes from the Lord. Don't live with your head down. Look up. I don't know what that may, might mean for you. It might mean some significant things. 
Maybe you need to give something away, something that you're putting a lot of confidence in. And that's what the rich young ruler needed to do. As Jesus looked at him, he said, what do I do to be saved? He says, keep the law, check, I've done that. Jesus says, okay, well, it's brass tacks. Give away everything that you have. And the man went away sorrowful because he loved much, right? His confidence was really in what he had. Maybe he's calling you to do something extreme. Maybe not. But look at that. Where are you getting your real confidence from? Maybe you need to give something away so that you don't have confidence in that thing rather than the Lord himself. Get rid of that from your life. Throw away that computer. Give away that money. Whatever it is. Maybe you need to walk out of work on time. Crazy. Hard to do in a lot of circumstances, right? As people are competitive and you know you need to be a good employee, but you also need to be with your family. And so you've got to have confidence in God if you're going to walk out on time sometimes. But you trust in him to provide what's needed, right? Uh, you don't look to your own self. Oh, I've got to achieve this. Maybe you need to do that. Work hard while you're there. Get to work on time, work hard, and then leave. Trust God. Maybe you need to hand the keys to the teenager. Maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Or something, the equivalent. Give something away. Trust that the Lord has your children preserved. You, You can't control them. You can't protect them, ultimately. It's good for to have wisdom, of course. We can do all that we can. But if you're trusting in that, it's not nearly enough. You need a God who doesn't slumber or sleep, who watches over them. That's the comfort. And you have that if you're in Christ. It's a good source of confidence. Let's pray. hard to make this practical, Lord. Um, hard to walk looking to you for everything. We're so, it's so subtle, some of the ways that we just come back and we really think that, that we control our lives, that through our anxiety and our control, that we can make things happen. I just pray that you would wake us up to you. I pray that you would help us to walk in you, knowing that you're watching over us, that you're walking with us, that you're the God who doesn't sleep that we would find our confidence in you and not in what we can do and what we can find in the world. Help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.